0: Welcome back, listeners, to a very special episode of The Dreaded Question. Today's guest is Kyle Branzell, host of the amazing and informative web series In a Nutshell with Kyle Branzell. Kyle is also a phenomenal vocal coach and acting teacher, and an absolutely wonderful person and a blast to be around. In today's episode, we discussed some pretty huge and relatable ways that Kyle's life has changed in the past few months and how he's using that momentum to give generously and succeed greatly. Please enjoy Kyle Branzell's answer to the dreaded question. So, Kyle Branzell, what are you up to?
1: What am I up to? Uh, first of all, I'm recording a podcast right now. It's for the first time in my life. It's so, so exciting. exciting.
0: It sounds like an amazing podcast. I, it is. <laughs> I'll tell
1: you what. I am up to a lot these days. Um, I used to be an actor, and so I'm not up to that anymore, which is, okay. I think, something we're going to be talking about soon. Yes. But what I am up to is um, doing a lot of coaching. Mm-hmm. I work as a vocal coach and an acting coach Great. Um, out of my studio and abroad <laughs> in different <laughs> rehearsal studios. Um, I'm also working on, I've been working on this video series, this YouTube series called In a Nutshell mm-hmm. with Kyle Branzell. featuring
0: it's so funny and amazing. Oh, I'm obsessed okay. with it. It's Thank
1: so you. great. We're going for a Bill Nye experience. It's, um,
0: that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> oh my God. You're, that's, that's 100% it. That's amazing. Thank
1: you. I really, you know, I in, in high school, he was all I would pay attention to yes. in science class.
0: Looking forward to the Bill Nye day. Yes. <laughs> class, yes for sure. That's
1: exactly right. Um, so it features bite-sized clips with tri- tricks and tips to help actors nail it in the audition room. Yeah. It's a whole um, music and acting extravaganza. Yes. Um, To top it off, I'm working at the Jen Waldman studio. Um, I started this program called Speed Coaching. Yes. It's been really successful. I have
0: taken advantage of the speed coaching and it is a game changer. It's huge.
1: (laughs) Thanks. It's for for anybody listening who doesn't know, if you're a member of the Jen Waldman studio, um, you can come in for 15 minutes speed coaching for 15 bucks. Sort of a Bottom line thing just to get people to be able to run a song before an audition if they need to find a cut Find the key that they need to sing in Um, Those quick things that you don't want to get a full session for but you still need to do before you go into the room
0: Right. I mean, I used it for recording a bunch of videos because I find Videos is one of those projects that the more time you give it the more time you need for it like if I have an hour to record a song I'll do 8,000 takes and end up using the first take. Like it's just, it is one of those things. But if I only have 15 minutes, we get like two, maybe three takes in depending on how long the song is. And then those are my options and I am always happy with it. It's okay. It's been really incredible. It's, and you can always come
1: back for another one because it's just $15. Bucks. it's $15. <laughs> That's so
0: cheap. It's it's a game changer. It really is. Well, thanks. And listeners, I swear I'm not sponsored by the Jen Walden Studio. I know she comes up in every episode. I just can't help it. She's an amazing person. <laughs> not sponsored.
1: Anyway. <laughs> so that has been very exciting. Another thing that I'm really excited about is that I'm training to become an acting teacher at a studio here in new york city that's amazing
0: hey listeners sorry to interrupt at the time that kyle and i recorded this podcast episode we kind of had to beat around the bush about where he was going to be teaching but now we can officially announce that he will be teaching at the jen waldman studio check out jenwaldman.com to see which classes you can take with kyle
1: it's really exciting it's sort of been a dream of mine since college it's I didn't realize that all of my life's passion was leading to this one point, but now that it's here, it's like, oh yeah, that's what I should've been doing the whole time. Yeah. So that's very exciting. And then the final thing I'm up to is I'm pursuing um, a new career in directing.
0: Wow.
1: Reaching out to theaters, and so actually really just figuring out how this whole directing world works. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's definitely a transition. It's definitely hard. Yes. So. Um, music directing and directing or mainly like is there a, one you prefer or do you do both
1: well music directing is something i've been doing for a long time right
0: right um and
1: the only thing i, I love it a lot mm-hmm. um the only thing i don't love is <laughs> sitting there and playing the show for as, for the run of the show right um, i get that yeah, and um, I think that, you know, the people who do that are, I think it really fills a lot of people up, and people, certainly on Broadway, are rolling in the dough doing that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. I really love to to actually music direct and to vocal sculpt music and to, yeah. you know, work with the orchestra, um, but I'm trying to get away from that because I find that I just have so many opinions about act, the acting and yeah. the physical presentation
0: it's hard to like hold back <laughs> that's right that's right totally
1: yeah so it, that again is just a natural progression I, when I think back to being <laughs> 10 years old at my family yeah. parties with my many cousins I was always directing them in some sort of play that we were I doing <laughs> so just sort of realizing that this is the, the calling yeah and, and another thing that I'm responding to in this moment is um, a Jen Waldmanism, which is that <laughs> yeah, right. when you have a tiny voice that is telling you something in the back of your brain, yeah. it's only going to get louder and louder if you don't tend to it. Yep. So this has been the tiny voice since yeah. the 10-year-old family parties.
0: <laughs> and it's finally getting its moment. That's it's right. It's finally getting its due. That's exactly right. That's really right. amazing. Well, Thanks. you're up to a lot.
1: That's right. You're a
0: busy man. Lot There's a lot going on.
1: Fingers and a lot of pies. Yes. I've no never
0: heard it phrased that way. I like it. Yeah, that's super exciting. So let's talk a little bit about how you kind of shifted your focus to these other pursuits.
1: Okay, great. So um, is worth mentioning that I had a really rough summer this yeah. summer. I was um, doing a show that I love to do. The unfortunate thing was that I was in an environment that I don't think really valued the kind of hard work that we were putting into it and we didn't have a great support staff at the theater including the people who really were supposed to be there to keep us safe and keep us happy and um, Mm -hmm. so uh, I I started to get hurt actually is Mm -hmm. what happened I strained my shoulder doing something and uh, then I was you know going to physical therapy and sort of stretching before a show and staring down this eight show week of a six show or six week contract yeah. and sort of realizing that I'm not sure that this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life because I was not in New York city. So I wasn't able to meet the clients that I had put in such time with and I thought yeah, I was letting them down. Yeah. yeah. And and the thing I was doing was not making me happy, it didn't seem to be making the audience very happy, they, <laughs> they didn't, I mean it was a 50-50, they liked it or they didn't yeah. kind of thing, which is okay, it's not like, it's not like that was, the goal Is just to please the audience. But sure. when it wasn't doing anything for me, and it wasn't really doing anything for the right. I was kind of like, is this what I should be doing with my life? And then I was recalling the 10-year-old me directing okay. my cousins and all of the things I've done throughout my career that have I've sort of wanted to be at the forefront in this leadership position and took this, I think, this low period to realize that I have these skills, leadership skills, directing skills, coaching skills that I could really be putting to better use. Yeah. And in fact, the... When you're on that side of the table, I've been on that side of the table as a music director. Mm-hmm. You get so much more creative yes. say, creative um, input.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, as a person who has a lot of <laughs> creative ideas, maybe uh, I it, it just seemed like a natural thing. And honestly, what gave me the courage to do so was um, I was working with. Jen (laughs) Waldman, with her summer program that we both did, you and I both did together, called the Reboot, which is for uh, people looking to make big shifts in their career, and it's a summer program. It's three months long, a lot of individual time with Jen.
0: Yeah, super intensive, but really game changing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so I felt like I had this great advocate in my corner, which sort of afforded me (laughs) or allowed me to make this leap, take this leap of faith.
0: Yeah. Because
1: I knew I had somebody that was going to sort of help me through it. And she, the other thing that really made me do it was she recommended one of the first things that she did was recommend that I read this book called The Dip by Seth Godin.
0: Yes. Which I read because of you.
1: Yes. Yes. And I recommend that anyone read this book. I'll give you some cliff notes, the cliff notes version. So The Dip is this period in our lives when we are at a, at a low point, when we're in the, the valley of it all. So we've had a lot of success on the one side of it, and now we're just sort of struggling to get mm-hmm. anything done. But we know that if we just survive the dip, then on the other side of it, we will reap the great rewards because not a lot of people can survive the dip. Right. The dip is evidence in careers, in um, things like weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people can can survive the hardships of the dip, the uncertainty, mm-hmm. in order to make it up to the other side. Yeah. So that was very interesting. And then the idea that when we are in a part of our lives where we are coasting or when we are being mediocre, mm-hmm. it feels so great. It feels like, oh, we're, we're just getting by. You know, nothing, you know, we're, at least we're not quitting. Well, the idea is that all the other people, everyone mm-hmm. else in the world is working towards that bigger goal. And so if you're just coasting or you're keeping yourself in mediocrity, you're actually taking steps back. It feels like it's safe, but it's actually not getting you anywhere. So it's hurting you.
0: Yeah. And also that you can say you didn't quit. That's right. That's such a big part of it to me. It's like, I think, especially in our society, like we're not quitters, like Americans are not quitters. And I, yeah, I think that leads a lot of people to just sort of like revel in the dip.
1: Yes, and that is a, a huge thing that I took away from it. Exactly this reframe of what is quitting. We've all been taught for so long: winners never quit. It's bad to quit. You have to. You have to always finish what you started in order to have integrity. Mm-hmm. But Seth Godin, who wrote this book, um, posits that businesses quit all the time when things yeah. are not working out for them. Mm-hmm. They pivot with purpose in mm-hmm. order to move on to the thing that is going to actually. Make them successful. Yeah, and so it, this is not to say we should all quit the dip when it when the going gets tough. The goal should not be, well, it's too tough, so I'm quitting. Right. Because then you're just never going to get to the rewards on the other side of the dip. Right. The goal is to realize that if I quit this, then maybe it'll open other doors, or to refortify yourself, use the dip. Because if you really want that thing on the other side, then you have to use the dip to make yourself better, to train harder, Mm -hmm. to use this down period to do the things that are going to make you better so that when you do survive, when you come out on the other side, you are that much richer and fuller as a human. Absolutely. Well, as it turns out, I was not really interested in what is on the other side of the dip, (laughs) which is maybe getting on Broadway, maybe working forever on the regional circuit, maybe working forever as an actor. And so this idea, this notion that I could be so audacious as to quit this thing that I had been pursuing for yes and yes (laughs) was really, really freeing. Yeah. And it's the reason that I'm sitting right here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. So for all you listeners, at the end of this summer of the reboot, which Kyle and I did, It kind of culminated in sort of like a final day where everybody who had done the reboot came together and we all got to share what we were working on and like pretty much everybody sang something, I think. And Kyle got up there and was like, I'm not singing. I'm not singing anything because I quit acting. It was like the plot twist of a telenovela. Like people were gagged and it was...
1: Some cracked faces. Truly.
0: (laughs) Myself included. And I don't think it was because it wasn't that you didn't want to be an actor anymore. I think it was just that like the audacious way that you were like, I quit acting those three words. And it was just like, whoa. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it was a, it was a big moment for me. And like, truly it was like for why I was like, Oh, like, what did you read? Like, what did you do? Like the reason that you even recommended the dip to me, because I was just like, how did this happen? It's, it's really amazing. And I think, yeah, it's allowed you to open up so much more of yourself. And like, from that, correct me if I'm wrong, came the, the speed coaching, the JWS speed coaching, like all of these things that you have been able to focus on so much more come from, you eliminated this energy vampire from your life, which was the pursuit of something that you didn't really want.
1: That's exactly right. And that is, I think the, in a nutshell, that is what, (laughs) quitting affords us is that I no longer was putting my energy into auditions that I didn't feel like I really wanted to be doing or did I didn't feel like I wanted to be rejected from or putting all this time into um, my book or my headshots or whatever. Right. And instead I could focus with purpose all of my energy into something that I actually wanted to be doing. That's yeah, a good way to say that.
0: And what's really amazing because this this show is all about doing it. Also, we talk about how, you know, so many artists are told the same kind of old adage of like, if you can do anything else, like do that instead, acting's really hard. But I really wish that people instead would say, if you can do anything else, do that also. But what I think is really interesting about our conversation here today is that you're still doing it. Also, it's just that the other thing isn't acting anymore, but now you're directing, MDing, coaching, you're the creator of this amazing show in a nutshell, you know, and you're, you're filming, producing, editing, like doing all of these things for that. And I think that's really cool that it's not like, if you're not an actor, then yeah, you should just do one thing. It's like, no, it, it applies always.
1: Right. And for people who are still interested in pursuing acting mm-hmm. as their main gig, even, I think you're so right that we, as actors, we have learned so many skills that are so unique, but so transferable to other things. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are many ways to supplement the acting game.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you were talking about your gig this summer, I think something really interesting that happens and that's sort of a big wake up call is like getting the job in acting is, is difficult. You go through a lot and there's like a lot that you invest time, energy, money, and It is so much work that if you're not happy when you quote unquote succeed and get the gig, then like, why are you doing it? And I think there's also this expectation of from, you know, whoever they may be, artistic directors, directors, stage managers, this is definitely not a blanket statement, but they have a certain power over us because they know that we supposedly love what we do so much. And so, oh, you're in pain. Oh, you're tired you hurt your shoulder. Well, like the show must, must go on and you love what you do. So go on. And I think that that's part of what really wears on people. And I think, you know, in some ways for you, it probably alerted you to the fact that like, it's not really worth this.
1: That's right. Also, there was a great sense of, well, I'm being treated in this very particular awful way Mm -hmm. and so how can I become a director an advocate for actors who will never who instead give them the best possible experience
0: yeah I feel a lot of that too it's definitely a lot of what has inspired me to start trying to direct more and you know it's unfortunately I at least don't feel the the empowerment as an actor to make those kinds of changes. And so I wanted to get in a position where I did have that power. Yeah. It's difficult.
1: It's hard when exactly we build these narratives about casting directors or about directors or about regional theaters that we must go through them, that they there's so many of us and so few of them. Yeah. I think that's sort of what they like to play on maybe sometimes as well. The people with integrity, you know, treat us like humans, and and that's how you know the theater's to work for. But I think the thing to remember is that a lot of people say, "Well, I have to take this job because I have to pay my bills," yes, or I have to take this job because it's going to be a a resume credit so that people will then Mm -hmm. consider me for X, Y, and Z. Right.
0: Get my health insurance weeks, like all of these.
1: Exactly, and I think that there are. Many ways to go about doing all the things that we just mentioned that mm-hmm. do not involve taking a job at a crappy theater that you, that has no integrity or that you do not want to work at. Right. I think that there's there's certainly not a whole lot of money in the regional theater circuit. So right. if that is your reason for go to for doing the show,
0: right.
1: I think you can find better returns in other areas. And resume building also doesn't seem like. I think it's a myth that we have been taught that you have to put in your dues somewhere or you have to show that you've been working regionally so that people will consider you for the tour and then so that they'll consider you for Broadway and then so that they'll consider you for TV. Right. But we see evidence all the time of people getting, graduating college or winning the Jimmy Awards without any Uh credits and then getting a Broadway show or just being in the right place at the right time and landing that TV gig that's going to set their careers up.
0: Absolutely. Jen is someone who really kind of got that into my head is that I was thinking of it as linear and it's just not. There is no formula for like, if I do this, then this will happen. It can happen any sort of way.
1: That's right. And as Jen says, in this business, there are there are ladders and there are trampolines
0: mm-hmm. and the people
1: who build trampolines and find their way to the top okay. are the ones who waste a lot less time and heartache and energy
0: yeah she's smart
1: she's smart she's
0: smart so i love something you said earlier when we were talking about the dip about like pivoting with purpose love that so you created um in a nutshell with kyle branzell and so what's the, what was your purpose behind that? Like what inspired you to pivot in that direction?
1: Um, Jen Waldman. <laughs> in a word. In a, in a, in a word, in a couple <laughs> words. Um, but it's, it speaks to this larger idea that she taught me during our coaching for the, in the reboot, which is the idea that if you're going to charge a lot of money for something that is valuable, which you should, yes. then you have to figure out what you're going to give away for free. Yeah. And this is a crazy concept because up until this point in my life, I was like, you know, I've trained for so long as a pianist and I'm not going to give away my services for free. I I have to charge people because then they'll take me seriously. But by giving things away for free, we're able to do a couple different things, show people that we are generous with our Mm -hmm. time. So if, if, if this is what I'm giving away for free, if this is what this person giving away for free, how much more are they going to give me when I pay for their full service? Exactly. It also, I'm also sort of giving people an insight into the knowledge that I know. So they see these little five minute clips and hopefully realize that I know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. so that then they will hire me to give them an hour of what I know. Absolutely. And then I think the final thing is that it, it builds trust. People mm-hmm. are able to sort of, vet you before they because we all know that we only want to pay for services that are going to help us. Yes. And so they can sort of vet me before they drop this money. And with speed coaching is another form of giving stuff away for free. While it's not free, I pretty much break even because right. I have to rent the room and all that thing. Yeah. Um but I'm able to see I'm able to get in front of these great clients right. at Jen Studio. Which then convert often to regular clients, right. so that's great. And and above all, this act of this idea of like selflessness, generosity. This is a gift that I'm giving to the community. Yeah. So Jen talks about the caveat to this is figure out what you do that people are going to pay for, mm-hmm. and then figure out what you do that you're going to give away for free. It shouldn't necessarily be the same thing.
0: Sure.
1: But. Um, For instance, Jen does a blog post. Many people do blog posts. Lily does this podcast. Right. These are all free things. No one has to pay for it. Right. Um, And the unexpected benefit from this is that every time I drop the video on Facebook or Instagram, people either like it or message me about it or literally pick up the phone and call me and book a coaching from it. Wow. So I, as someone who is very bad at social media about putting myself out there, this has given me a way to stay in front of people's feeds and right. people's consciousness Yes, and think of me the next time that they want to get coached.
0: Yeah. So it's something that you're giving away for free, but it's also free marketing.
1: That's right. So
0: in a sense, like you're not spending money, but you're kind of saving money. And, and it's also like the world's most interesting a colorful, funny resume. Yes. Whereas like you could, you know, if someone reached out and was like, Hey, I'm thinking about coaching with you, uh, but I don't know anything really about you. Like, what have you done? Send me your resume. Boring. Like that does not show the colors of who Kyle Branzel is. But if you can respond and say, actually, I have this web series um, of information that's relevant to you and really shows who I am. They get a really clear picture of who you are and what a unique thing to help you stand out.
1: That's exactly right. That's really well said.
0: Yeah. Plus, it's just, like, it's just attractive. Like, it's... I want to work with someone who is confident enough to put himself out there, who is generous enough to give that kind of thing away for free. And, yeah, there's just something about it that really, like, makes people want to work with you. That's right.
1: It's all at once. Yeah. Generous and selfish. But it seems like (laughs) the generosity sort of outweighs... (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's really, um... It's really pretty incredible, but I do think that it is such an interesting balance. There is so much in this industry of like, I can't pay you, but you'll get great exposure or whatever. And there's a lot of artists who do feel pressure to give away their art for free. And I think a big message to be taken from something like this is, yeah, you should give it away for free in your context, in your parameters, in your way that you feel comfortable with that gives you something that you need and isn't just because someone else is cheap.
1: That's right. That's right. And it's, it's generous to a point. If people want mm-hmm. to come to a speed coaching they can do one per week per person. So you can do mm-hmm. 15 minutes every week. Obviously people want to take advantage of this and say can I do two two coachings back right. uh, to back Right. to then which I have to say no we're only doing the limit of one because mm-hmm. If I start giving away my entire service for free, which is a half hour coaching, which I feel is very valuable, then we're sort of missing the point of giving stuff away for free.
0: Yes. So
1: you have to be exactly cognizant of what is, what is free and what is not.
0: Right. And also like you're trying to, you know, help and touch as many people as possible. So if one person is taking up two coaching slots, then like that's someone else who doesn't get one. And you know, your whole message or the whole point of doing it is to try to help as many people as possible.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. So another big topic that we talk about on the show is the ideas of success and failure. I think we all need to hear each other's successes to remain positive, to remain hopeful. I think it's a great practice in selflessness and empathy to be genuinely happy for someone else. And I also think Kind of the same when someone shares a quote unquote failure with you, it's a great practice in how you're going to respond. And it's a great practice in framing the lesson that comes out of it and seeing that failure is not permanent. It's not a permanent state of that person failed and now their life is over and that's the end of their story. So whichever you'd like to start with, do you have any successes or failures from any of these purposeful pivots um, that you've started since quitting acting?
1: Totally. I love what you said about uh, all of that and I, I feel that we are the narrative that we tell people. Mm. So I was experimenting when I first made this transition with when people said, what are you up to? Mm-hmm. Just saying, I quit acting and just watching the terror overtake them because they start to think, should I quit acting? Mm-hmm. Can I, Can I even do that? I don't want to quit acting i want to stay in this business you know all the things that yeah we experience when someone else exactly experiences a failure or success how does it make us feel so then i started playing with different ways of answering that question and one of the things that i could say is that i've been doing a lot of coaching lately another way i could say it is i work with broadway actors as a coach and an acting teacher Mm -hmm. so I feel like there are just so many ways that we can answer the question and the other thing about narrative is that I felt very hesitant to say I'm a coach I'm a teacher because that comes with I feel some expectation of well you must know so much about so many different things a
0: little bit of imposter syndrome yes absolutely
1: imposter syndrome and it wasn't until I literally just one day said, yes, I am a coach. When someone <laughs> said, Are you, do you do this coaching thing? I was like, yes, uh, I do do that. Yes. Um, that I started to get comfortable saying it. And then being more comfortable saying it led people to actually think that I was more comfortable as a coach so then they thought, well, you do this all the time, so then you must be really secure in your coaching. So yeah. you know, it's it's sort of a, this thing where one thing leads to another, but it starts with the way that you put yourself out into the world. Yeah. If you keep saying, a lot of people call these things, myself included, before this revelation, if you keep calling things your survival job, yep, then like think it just think of that connotation that a survival job is something that you have to do just. To make the bare minimum in this world. Yeah, the
0: baseline.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, there's something implied that, like, if this is just my survival job, then, like, there's something else that I have, like, that I enjoy doing, that I have the privilege of doing, but, like, this is not that. Right. That's interesting. And when I was
1: acting, I called coaching my survival job. Yeah. And somebody said to me, how would your clients feel if they knew that you called this your survival job? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right.
0: Right. Like, I want to give my money to someone who, like, wants to be doing this.
1: Yes, who has the courage to say, I am a coach. (laughs) I will coach you. This is what I do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I just thought that was worth saying. And so, but I certainly have experienced many struggles (laughs) and many failures (laughs) along the way. Um, So... The, the whole pricing game has yeah. been a journey for me that sure. i love to talk about because I used to be of the mindset that I have to appeal to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And so if people weren't willing to pay the price, then I would drop it. So just so that I could save that yeah. relationship. And what I've learned is that in businesses like this, or in, in any business, mm-hmm. you run the risk of commoditizing yourself, or being a commodity, when it is a race to the bottom. So yes, I could say, oh, the other guy or girl is charging $60, i will charge 50 Right. I could undercut them and get the client. But then I'm left with $10 less or more dollars less than I'm actually worth. Right. And then I've sold myself for, what, $1? And then you're
0: allowing someone else to come in and say, oh, he's charging 50. I'll charge 40.
1: That's right. You're
0: absolutely, it's a race to the bottom.
1: That's right. Or Kyle did this coaching for me for 50 bucks. So hit him up. He'll probably do it for 50. Yep. So just, you know, tell him that. Yeah. And and that is a great way to just race to the bottom. Yeah. What I have learned since is that pricing is actually a story. It's like sort of a marketing story that you're telling people. Yep. So if I were to price myself at $40 an hour for coaching, then the story that I'm telling is I'm not worth what the coaches who are actually charging the, the top dollar are worth. Mm-hmm. So come to me if you want the discounted coat at the discounted rate. Yep. What I'm now empowered to do is set my price where it is, say, yes, I know that if you're looking for the bottom line minimal experience there are many other people that you can go to but if you want something of quality yep then i know what i bring to the table it's going to cost you this amount of money and in this city and in many other cities <laughs> i think people are willing to pay for quality
0: absolutely and it's you know it, it is i'm sure a really difficult thing especially when you're Market or your target audience is actors who notoriously like don't have that much money. And so it's such a fine balance between like, okay, like at what point am I being unrealistic and alienating the people that I want to work with? And at what point am I just like on a race to the bottom? But I think that that is where what we were just talking about of like giving some things away for free comes in.
1: There are certainly instances when you are always free to give away things for free whenever yeah. you want. And those should be in moments when you're thinking of what you're doing as a gift. So when we're being generous humans and we're giving away gifts, then give it away for free. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. However, we also deserve to make money for the things, the value that we bring to the table.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, when you create the, I, I love what you said about, because this is certainly something that I struggle with, well, actors are always telling me they don't have enough money to pay for this, so maybe I should drop my rates. Mm-hmm. Seth Godin in this book talks about creating a category of one. You you are creating, you, you yourself are a category of one, or, or another way he describes it is being the best in the world. Yes. So the best in the world does not mean the very best person in the world because there are so many people in this world. The best person in the world means the best person for the job, the singular, unique job that you can bring. So mm-hmm. when people are looking to hire an acting coach who also plays the piano and can help them with their vocals, mm-hmm. they will come to me because that is a unique set of skills that I bring. I am a category of one. Yes. That's at least what I'm trying to create. I
0: think he also says, like, the best person in your world. right? That's right, in your yeah.
1: world view. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so if you are that category of one or that purple cow, mm-hmm then people are willing to pay for it yeah. because they need it so much. You have made yourself so valuable to this person that they will pay you whatever you want because the cost of not having you is far greater than the cost that it just takes to pay your hourly rate. Absolutely. So I, I felt very empowered by that To And the thing that you have to get good at, if you're going to stick to your guns on your price, mm-hmm. you have to get good at saying no to people yeah. And, and realizing that you're gonna price yourself out for some people.
0: Yep. and
1: uh, I, oh my God, that used to just <laughs> eat away at me. It's when,
0: hard. It's yes. a hard thing to do.
1: Because as freelancers, we we're responsible for making the money. Absolutely. So. I used to try to take every job that paid because I was just staying busy and I was just getting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But then when I was there and realizing that my time was not worth what I was getting paid, it, my self-worth was so low. So realizing that, yes, it's going to price you on some people, it, you're not going to be for everyone, but the people that you are for are the ones who are going to keep coming back and who are going to recommend you to their friends because they like you so much.
0: Absolutely. I really want to shift to talking about your success and your successes, I'm sure, but I do want to unpack one... You know, I'm sure we, we don't have an answer for this, but I would love to just talk a little bit about, you said something when when you first decided to quit acting, you kind of got in the practice of being of telling people those words, I quit acting. And you said something really interesting that when you would say that to people, you would notice almost like a panic come across them. Why do you think that when someone tells us that they're quitting acting, that we immediately kind of spiral into this place of self-doubt of like, should I quit acting? What does that say about me? Like, yes, I think it's very natural that humans are like selfish and make everything about us. But why, why is that such a scary kind of rock to look under of whether or not we want to keep acting?
1: I think a lot of things, and I think the first and foremost is that we have just all been conditioned from day one to think that quitting is a bad thing. Yeah. And yet we've probably all at one point in our lives said to ourselves, is this what I want to be doing? Should I quit this? Mm -hmm. And so I think it brings up those insecurities in people, the fact that they don't know that they could quit, that they that they could even find the courage in themselves to quit. I think there's a huge issue of sunk costs in this business yes. I just paid I mean literally when I quit I had just paid for to get a bunch of headshots printed which we all know are not cheap no they are not and if I had said well I just got these headshots printed so let me just wait till the headshots are gone and then I'll make my move yeah I would probably still be on
0: yeah because so much time wasted
1: exactly exactly yeah so there's, and sunk costs come in many forms headshots, classes that we take, college, career. You know, yeah. I, I trained as a musical theater actor. Right. I spent six years in undergrad. Wow.
0: Because
1: I transferred schools. Mm-hmm. So that is certainly could be seen as a sunk cost. Definitely. Um, there's also the I, idea that we, from the time we see our first Broadway show as a child, get into our minds that my dream of dreams, my goal of goal is to get on Broadway. Yep. And so if we accept anything less than the goals or dreams that we made when we were five years old, Mm -hmm. what are we saying about our entire lives? Our entire lives have been a a path to this one goal. Right. Um, But realizing that those goals and dreams were made at a time before we understood anything about ourselves, about our world, about the career.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a question we don't let ourselves face. So even if we do want to keep acting, even just being faced with a question, you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to think about that. And, yeah, there, I think there is that fear that, like, if I think about it, what if I decide I don't want to do it anymore, but I've spent all this money, time, effort doing this?
1: Well, and that just made me realize that there's also a big thing for me was other people's expectations. Oh, yeah. So this was with people that I had been taking acting class with at the studio mm-hmm. and a big one was my family. Yeah. And I, I feel like they would never even say that. And, and they lo- they support me unconditionally. I'm so lucky that they are just happy for me to be alive and be here. <laughs> yes. but, um, but I knew that they, my parents get such a kick out of me being on stage yeah. and they would come to see all my shows and they just loved seeing me on stage and I had been telling people for years that this is what I've been doing, yeah. and I've watched other people quit and actually judge them in, my, in the back of my mind and thought, sure. well, I guess they couldn't hack it. Yep. So, but realizing that it's not about not being able to hack it, it's actually about having more courage
0: right.
1: to be able to double down on what you really want to be doing. To to and then it was like I was had such anxiety about going home this winter mm-hmm. for the holidays because I knew that my family who I see very rarely was gonna you know they love to hear about my career and what I'm doing with my life and when I when they heard that I quit that you know it was it's just um, natural to think for I could see the look behind their eyes oh he failed oh he couldn't handle it yeah he, he couldn't. Make it work for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think it's just about being okay with being judged in that way. Yeah. Like, I really right. had to tell myself, they are going to think this, yeah. and that's okay because right. they're not the ones who are living my life, and they're not the ones who have been so empowered for the past six months ever since I quit. You know, yeah. I've, I've been on this like war path ever since, and I really think it's because I dropped this excess energy that I. Didn't like, but then, but then the other thing about this is that we are the narrative we tell. So yes, if I don't have to say I quit acting to everyone and watch them judge me, <laughs> you right? Know, I can say I I've had so many, which is true. I've had so many um, clients and Broadway actors telling me um, I could really use some coaching. It just makes so much sense for me to serve these people. Yeah, you know?
0: absolutely, and. And I think that is a really big point. I think a lot of people feel that fear of other people's opinions and judgment. I see it with people who, you know, move to New York and realize, like, I do love theater, but I hate New York. And that idea of, like, well, if I leave New York, people are going to think I couldn't cut it. People are going to think oh, she failed in the big city or whatever. And I think like that is definitely a hurdle that people have that you have to overcome. But I think it's really important. I want to take this opportunity on the podcast to say that I have been in class with Kyle. And I know that Kyle is insanely talented and completely capable of a career as an actor. And I think you know that. Like, I don't think you need me to tell you that. But it's not really about that. There's something really empowering about being like, well, yeah, I could do that. But I'm finally taking the moment to be like, well, just because I can doesn't mean I should. And like, do I even want that? So, I mean, I think that that's a really important thing to note, And I think it's really important for for myself, for you, for all the listeners to acknowledge that the next time someone tells you that like they're not auditioning anymore and they quit acting, to do your best not to project a loss or like a mourning or like a disappointment or any sort of narrative that you think that that means about that person, because they may not be questioning their ability to do it at all. It's just the desire.
1: That's right. And the other thing that's coming up um, is this um, quote that an acting teacher in college said to me, the great Blake Hackler. Um, Are we allowed to swear on this podcast?
0: Go for it. (laughs) I insist.
1: So one time somebody in class was like, Um, in, like, scene study class was, like, how do we, like, navigate this weird thing where, like, we're in front of our peers and we want to take risks in class, but they might be judging us and they might be talking behind our backs to people and um, they might have some type of feeling about the work we did and gossip about it later. Mm -hmm. And Blake said... Well, the answer is they are, they are doing that and you're doing it to them and everyone's doing it to everyone else. So his prescription was to take your fuck it pill.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. And
1: to do it anyway.
0: Yes.
1: Because if we get lost in this idea of what if, what if, what will other people think, what will other people think, then we will do nothing. And in a business where that is the hazard of the trade is you're putting yourself out there. For public consumption, yep. people are allowed to have whatever opinions that they want, and they will.
0: And they will. And
1: not everyone will like you, and some people will just hate you. Yep. But if you let those people define you and and make any sort of impact on your life, then you're you're screwed. One of the, one of the big things that Jen always talks about is who is it for? Yep. And then the Major part about that is who is it not for? Mm-hmm. Because nothing is going to be for everyone. Not everyone in the world is going to listen to this podcast. Not everyone in the world is going to listen to my in a nutshell videos right? because it's just not relevant for everyone.
0: Right. And some people might watch it or listen to this and be like, I hate this. Yes. <laughs> but if I can categorize, like I have done a lot of work about who this podcast is for and who it's not for. And if someone who it's not for tells me that they hate it, guess what? That's a win because I didn't intend for it to be for you. And so if you're telling me that it was not for you, check.
1: That's right. That's right. (laughs) I
0: think there's something really empowering about that. That sort of helps you release the need for your work, yourself, your everything to be liked by everyone because it's not going to happen.
1: Well, and one of the biggest examples that I had sort of trial by fire on this <laughs> was my first, my very first episode of In a Nutshell, which I was just so nervous to put out and sure. v- felt so vulnerable. Um, I was trying to get as many viewers as I could, so I made the mistake of posting it on just the, one of the snarkiest Facebook groups possible that shall remain nameless. But oh, I have oh, since oh. left the group, but oh, so I posted. And the episode was about straight tone, the use of straight tone sure. in pop rock singing. Yes. Um, and I posted it, and almost immediately, someone who had very fancy titles of, and actually taught the thing that I was teaching, like the, I think their title was director of contemporary vocals. Oh God. <laughs> um. Come some at some fancy school, or not some, fancy, just some school. Sure. Commented and was like, Actually, what you're saying is false, and this is how I feel that straight tone is used. Oh, And no. one of the biggest, anyway, it was just, I mean, went in on this Facebook post, and I was so mortified. Right. Because
0: that's like the nightmare.
1: That's the nightmare, exactly. Oh, and so I deleted the post, <laughs> and oh. because what was I gonna do? Get into right. this Facebook feud with somebody? It's no, not worth it. It just was not worth it. And so I deleted the post. Maybe I should have, you know, kept it up, whatever. But I was like, you you are not worth my time. This is the, the podcast or the, the episode is not for you. Right. Also, you don't have any platform where you are putting yourself out there. Right. In this very vulnerable way. Exactly. So until you're in that position, yep. you cannot talk to me about my thing that I have painstakingly researched and put okay. together for you.
0: Nope. Yeah. <sighs> Whatever that Brene Brown quote is about being in the arena, insert that here. Hi, listeners. As promised, here's the Brene Brown quote I so eloquently referred to. If you're not in the arena also getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. That's That's right. That's totally what that is. Mm. Well, then let's shift to some successes from any and all of this, because I'm sure there are many.
1: So we've touched on a lot of them. Mm. I mean, the the biggest success is that I'm no longer doing things that I don't want to be doing. And is
0: there a bigger success than that? Right. We're podcast over, like you win successes, <laughs> like that's that's huge. Not doing things that you don't want to be doing, that's freedom.
1: Right. That's and huge. and it's scary because a lot of those things have paychecks attached to them. Sure. And there were many gigs that I was doing as as a pianist that i would show up for less than what i'm worth and the content of whatever was being discussed or the quality of people that were being brought in or whatever the bottom of the barrel gigs i was doing i would in in the moment of doing it i would say i would just hate myself Ugh. and i would spend all of these nights i would spend like i would waste my nights doing this thing because i was like well it's a paycheck, and at least yep. at least by the end of the month I have this nice cushion of cash that, you know, will maybe let me take a class or something. Right. And the cost that I was giving, the emotional cost and the energy cost, was just far outweighing the the monetary cost that I was being paid. Yeah. So the success of the empowerment to quit the empowerment that quitting opens other doors, even though sometimes it feels like you're taking a leap of faith and I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from necessarily. Then my time is now free so that I can work on getting more clients, booking a client in that spot that they would have been gone because I was gone for three hours doing this thing. That's been pretty powerful.
0: That's really huge. Yeah. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm just so happy for you in all of these amazing shifts you've taken in your career and the freedom that you found for yourself since you pivoted with purpose while quitting acting. I think that's really incredible. And I think you're going to inspire a lot of our listeners.
1: Thanks Lily. I'm really inspired by you too. And all of these things that you've been doing to pivot your career and to supplement and to yes. And yourself. (laughs) And this podcast is a great example of that. The yoga teacher training. I just think is so cool.
0: So that means a lot.
1: You're inspiring.
0: Thank you. Thanks again for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I am so grateful for the brave and generous ways that Kyle shared with us on today's episode. If you're interested in coaching with him, I'm including a link to his website in the show notes. He's a one-stop shop for songs and sides and additionally provides incredible insight into pop rock singing. He has a studio in Harlem if you're looking to save money on studio costs or from any of the major studios in Midtown. I'm also including links to the YouTube channel for his amazing series In a Nutshell with Kyle Branzell, as well as a link to his Instagram and the book that changed his life, The Dip, by Seth Godin. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Lily Torre, and this has been The Dreaded Question.